Knuckleheads MMA podcast for UFC Fight Night Copenhagen. This is UFC Fight Night 160. I'm Tim. I'm here again with Lee. We're talking fucking Lee. What's up, Lee? Hey, sexy bastards. How are you? Uh, we are coming off of UFC Mexico City. Uh, a wild event. Uh, lots of weird outcomes. Very weird. The ending was obviously strange. What's continued since the ending maybe even stranger, but we do have a, a rebooking of that fight. So um, it's going to happen in, Bo- in Boston as a yes. co-main event. So, uh, hey, at least there's going to be a resolution, right? Uh, we'll talk about all that stuff. Uh, so let's first just jump into reviewing uh, the event and our picks. The first fight of the night was Steven Peterson and Martin Bravo. This fight delivered. Uh, it was a little faster than I thought it would be. Uh, but Steven Peterson looked great. He got the win, and we both predicted that he would. Yes, sir. Uh, then it was Vanessa Mello debuting against Irene Aldana. Uh, Aldana just really outclassed her. That was also what we expected. We were both on Aldana. Yes. Uh, then debut of Askar Askarov versus Brandon Moreno. This was the first of our three strange decisions, or outcomes, I should say. It was ruled a draw. Uh, when I think that Moreno pretty clearly won, but it's, it's tough to really say with the decisions. I agree, um, but you're right. It started off just the rest of the night being very, very strange. And it gets weird again. Uh, we had Alexa Grasso versus Carla Esparza. This is the fight that we were split on the most out of the event. Uh, Carla Esparza got the decision. Uh, it's a controversial decision. I've seen a lot of people on both sides. I rewatched the fight, and I can definitely make a case that she won the first round. But, I mean, it's still, like, that third round was very reasonably 10-8 for Grasso. You got to give Esparza a lot of credit, though, for surviving that third round and definitely surviving that armbar. Yeah, uh, I no doubt how tough she is. I was not big on her going in on last week's podcast. Um, but that last round, no doubt, a 10-8. And um, I had it where Esparza did not win that fight. <laughs> so uh, that decision to me was horrific. But as you said, there's people on both sides. Yeah. Uh, so then it gets even weirder when we get to the main <laughs> event. Uh, Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens. We were both on Yair Rodriguez, and the fight was ruled in no contest about 15 seconds in when Rodriguez inadvertently eye-poked Jeremy Stevens. He was unable to open his eye. Herb Dean gave him the full five minutes to recover. He still couldn't open his eye, and the fight was called. Um, first... As you and I have discussed, uh, there are a lot of things to unload here. Uh, One is that I thought Herb Dean, who's an excellent referee, but also is involved in a lot of controversial decisions, I thought he handled this very well. Secondly, if anyone is questioning Jeremy Stevens and whether he wanted to fight, I, I, I cannot begin to question your IQ as a human being enough. And that includes Yair Rodriguez, who oh, yeah. clearly has handled this without class. Jeremy Stevens spent $30,000 of his own money 
to train in Mexico. That guy has a resume, regardless of winning or losing, of fighting a who's who. You can say what you want about Jeremy Stevens. Maybe he's not great on the mic. Maybe Conor McGregor made him look like a fool at that one press conference. Who the fuck are you? Um, But that dude will fight anybody. And he's a damn good fighter. And so to question that is absurd. Whatever happened between them at the hotel, the language that was used, let's let's let other people talk about that. It's already been talked about already. But I'm glad they're running it back, and I know you are too, because this is a big fight in that division. And if Yair Rodriguez wants to get towards the top, he's got to beat a guy like Jeremy Stevens. Yeah, this is almost even a good thing to happen to the fight, because now how much they dislike each other makes me even more excited to see them fight. Right. Uh, I was hoping that they were going to do it at Tampa or Madison Square Garden because those are the events that I plan on being at, but they gave it to Boston. Uh, as long as we get to see it, I'm happy about that. How about the fans? Woo! We should talk about that because yeah. what happened reminded me, you know, back in the day there was this awful event in New York between Riddick Bowe and Andrew Galata in boxing at Madison Square Garden. And for a, while, for a while, it looked like it was going to be MMA's version of that. And I guess you could say in some ways it was, but it didn't get quite as bad. Now, that fight resulted in the frenzy because of purposeful low blows by Andrew Galata, who was certifiably yeah. insane. Uh, this was an accident. So this is clearly on the fans who are there, and I cannot understand why you would pay the money that you do, and it's not cheap, to go to these events, and your reaction is to do that. It's absolutely absurd. Apparently, even Carla Esparza was getting stuff thrown at her, which is even more absurd. But you and I have big problems with fans who show up to MMA events already, but when that kind of stuff happens, that's just unbelievably disrespectful. You should never, ever be at a sporting event ever again, let alone let out of the house. You're a bunch of morons whoever did that. Boom, roasted. And I know you have a lot to say about it as well. Yeah, uh, it's the main event. They've been drinking for the last six hours if they were there since the beginning. All right, then let's get wasted. It's it's part of what happens with the UFC being as mainstream as it is and treated like a regular sport. And then the booing itself, like booing uh, Carlos Esparza after a decision, booing... Uh, Yair Rodriguez after it was called off like when you're booing someone so loud that they're having trouble having their post-fight interview I mean that's just that's just not what this is supposed to be about this is number one bullshit and just let them talk it's not their fault the fight got called the way it did it's not Esparza's fault if she got the decision and you don't agree with it she fought as hard as she could and she did some really impressive stuff it's just, yeah. it's not martial arts, and it's, it's, it has nothing to do with the ultimate fighting championship to me, but that's what it's become, and that's why when I go to Tampa to watch uh, UFC Tampa with uh, Ioana versus Michelle Watterson, I'll be sitting in the suites away from all the Vulgarians. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Yeah, well said. All right, so that'll take us to the main card for UFC Copenhagen. Uh, we'll get into the breakdown now. Here we go. Starting with the first fight on the main card, we have Alex Oliveira versus Nicholas Dalby. Uh, Oliveira, a minus 175 favorite. Dalby coming back from a hiatus from the UFC. Uh, I think it's pretty cool they're bringing him back f- to fight in his native Denmark. He's, he's actually from Copenhagen, so it's even better. But let's go to you, Lee. How do you see the first fight on the main card? 
Yeah, well, the fans are going to go absolutely bonkers to kick off uh, the main card because of Dolby being from Denmark. Um, you know, like you said, he got cut from the UFC, and it's good to see him back. It's a smart move by the UFC. Um, you know, he's a kickboxer. Uh, he actually had a draw with Darren Till, so he's got skills. Um, and, you know, he's got a four-fight unbeaten streak. Um, now, you know, one thing I want to say about Alex Oliveira, he calls himself Cowboy, and personally, as somebody who is a Cowboy Cerrone stalker, I, I, I can't stand it. I, I see him as the fake Cowboy. I'm, I'm, glad that they, I'm glad they fought, and Cerrone taught him who the real Cowboy was in 2016. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to point that out. That's always annoying me about him. Um, that said, you know, Oliveira, th- th- there's a reason why these they pick these fights to start off the main card. And, and Oliveira has a tendency to like to brawl sometimes. He does have the grappling yeah. edge, but he gets sucked into brawling, and it's exciting to watch regardless of what you think about him. Um, you know, and I think that this could be one of those fights where Dalby gets into the fact that he's in his home crowd, and, and, and you know, this just turns into a toe-to-toe brawl. That said, I think... I think that Oliveira's grappling edge could come into play, um, you know, but I'm going to go with Oliveira by decision, and uh, it should be an entertaining first fight. I think I'm going to go with Oliveira too, but I'm not sure how much of a grappling advantage he actually has. Uh, Dalby's also very capable uh, in grappling. I think both of these guys are very similar pretty much across the board. Uh, the thing that really stands out, is uh, the UFC experience for Oliveira. I'm going to kind of lean on that. Uh, They're kind of the same size. They strike at about the same rate. They attempt about the same amount of takedowns. Uh, Oliveira's fought way better opponents because he's been in the UFC for so long. He's very good from top position, Oliveira. Uh, He's good in scrambles. So I think that will be probably his path. But the thing is, Dalby will be at home. Uh, I, I feel like if somebody's going to come on strong in the later rounds, it might be Dalby. So if Oliveira can't finish him in the first round, when I think he's probably going to expend a lot of energy, it's going to yes. get a little bit interesting. Yeah. But I don't like to bet on narrative, though, so I'm going to stick with Oliveira based on UFC experience uh, because they're kind of very similar by the numbers. I like it. Okay, then we have Ovin St. Preux versus Michael Olensechik. Olensechik minus 230 favorite. OSP is 36 now. He's taken some bad losses lately. He's taken a lot of damage in those losses. I feel like he might take a lot more damage in this fight with Olensechik. How do you see this fight, Lee? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with where you're going there with OSP. I, I, I think that we've seen the best of him. In the UFC, he's a fantastic athlete. As a lot of people know, he's a former college football player. He was a linebacker at Tennessee. That's probably like the position in football that's best suited for transitioning to MMA. And um, he's a fantastic athlete. He's developed that Von Flu slash, slash Von Pru uh, choke, which yeah. could come into play here. You never know, you know, if he gets in the right position. But that said, I think we've seen the best of him. And so... I don't know that, you know, there's any more room for him to evolve. He sort of hit his ceiling. As far as Oleg Sechek, um, you know, he's got 
two first round finishes, I believe, in his in his past two fights, which includes Jean yes. Vellante. Um, you know, he's considered sort of a smaller light heavyweight, but he's got pretty yes. quick hands. And uh, he actually fought Khalil Roundtree, who is on this card. And in that fight, he, he showed his toughness. You know, he got hit a lot. Right. Uh, but he ended up eking out a decision. So this guy's tough. So, you know, if he can get through any kind of aggressiveness, if, if OSP even has it in the beginning, I think if he gets past the first round, he's going to end up finding his groove. And um, I actually think he's going to stop St. Prue late in this fight. I'll say third round. That sounds pretty good. Uh, the fight with Clear Roundtree, he outstruck him by a lot, actually, which is pretty impressive if you look at the recent fight Roundtree had with Eric Anders. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with Ola Tsechik. He, he strikes at a very high rate. He lands at 5.66 per minute. OSP only lands at 2.62 per minute. And he's not like a OSP is not like a super threat for takedowns. But even if he was, uh, Oleksiejczyk is currently at 100% defense. Uh, I think this fight will stay on the feet, and I think that Oleksiejczyk will land in a much greater number there. Uh, Like you were saying, two of his wins are by knockout uh, of his three wins, and like I said, he really outstruck Roundtree. So I think he probably will finish uh, OSP in this fight. And I don't really know where OSP goes from there, but that's for another podcast. I'm going with Oleksiejczyk. That brings us to Kulio Roundtree uh, fighting Ian uh, Kudalaba. Roundtree is a minus 140 favorite coming off that huge performance against Eric Anders that has a lot of buzz to it. Uh, Roundtree's still just 29, and now seems like he's figured something out. I might be picking against him here, and let's go to you first. I am not picking against him. We'll start with that off the top. Man, he looked just like a completely different fighter in his last fight, right? I mean, you know, if you've heard him tell a story, you might want to go back and listen to another minor podcast called the Joe Rogan Podcast. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night. He tells this great story about how he went to um, Thailand and basically moved there to start training. And you saw in his last fight, his Muay Thai just, he just looked like a different fighter. And I believe he's you know, still the guy, training there, right? Yeah, I think that's become his thing. He's yeah. moved there. Um, and loves it there. You know, he talks about like he goes and washes elephants and he's like a really cerebral, interesting guy, but he's a much improved fighter. And I believe he's also one of those fighters that used to be extremely heavy um, and was at a very uh, heavy weight at about 300 pounds. Um, And he's in phenomenal shape. He can hit hard. I think his weakness is on the ground, which you could probably go into a little bit more. Um, But I think what's also probably been instilled in him more by going to Thailand is discipline. You like discipline. You know, the way he's trained. And so, you know, Kudalaba is uh, someone who lost to Glover Teixeira in his last fight. He can be super, super aggressive. So this may be a fan-friendly fight, but I think that Roundtree is going to have the discipline. You like discipline. To not really engage or be sucked into a brawl. He's going to use that discipline and pace himself. Um, if, if this fight starts off quickly, and I suspect it will, I think it could, could come down to stamina. Both guys have shown the ability to get gas before. But I do think 
without getting to the technical and statistical stuff that what we're going to see is a more disciplined round tree. And I think that's going to lead to him winning this fight via decision. So just to throw a few numbers out, strikes per minute, uh, one of my favorite stats. Kudalaba mm-hmm. outstrikes round tree 5.24 to 3.06. But those numbers might be coming up for Roundtree now because he landed more in his fight with Eric Anders than he had in like any of his past fights. So maybe if that is the new Cleo Roundtree, uh, his 3.06 will be on the rise. But I don't want to base this prediction off of just one fight. Instead, more of like who he's been over the span of his career. And one of those things has been not the most durable fighter. Whereas Kudalaba has shown a lot of durability. He's taken a lot of really hard shots in his fights, and it doesn't really seem to hurt him that bad. He's also somebody that looks for takedowns if he feels like he needs to, and Roundtree does not. Uh, And Roundtree, even more importantly, only defends takedowns at a 52% rate. Uh, Against Jared Cannonier, who we're going to talk about in the main event, Kudalaba landed six of seven takedowns. Uh, he, He eventually lost that fight, but I'll take those numbers. And... Kudalaba is a much different fighter than uh, Jared Cannonier. He's also a much different fighter than Eric Anders. Eric Anders didn't attempt any takedowns until he had already taken a ton of punishment. And I expect Kudalaba will come in with a better game plan than Eric Anders had. A lot of people were predicting Eric Anders was going to beat Roundtree going into that fight because they expected him to wrestle Roundtree because he doesn't have strong defense against wrestling. I see enough advantages that I feel comfortable picking Kudalaba. And I'm picking a lot of favorites on this card anyway. So I'm going to ride with uh, Ian Kudalaba to win this fight here. I like it. Okay, then we have Gilbert Burns versus Gunnar Nelson. Uh, Gilbert Burns coming in at a minus 140 favorite, which is kind of interesting for a replacement. Uh, he, he replaced Thiago Alves, who originally was slated to fight Gunnar Nelson in this spot, which I think is good for everybody. Uh, you would agree, right, Lee? Yeah. The thing about this one for me is Gunnar Nelson is known as like one of the best European submission artists and one of the best European grapplers. Uh, I don't think he can have that kind of success against somebody that's a jiu-jitsu world champion like Gilbert Burns is. I like to pick Gilbert Burns often in his fights. I love his jiu-jitsu, and his striking is always getting better. Uh, he outlands Gunnar Nelson by a lot, uh, 3.22 to 1.76 per minute. I think a ton of the fight will probably take place on the feet, and I think that's the important advantage to hold, and I definitely side with Burns in striking. Uh, I, and I don't like Gunnar Nelson's striking defense either. I don't think that karate stance really works well for him. I think his head's kind of up in the air a lot, and he's been hurt several times lately. Yeah. The one thing to kind of be worried about with Burns is that he was uh, recently down at 155, He's back up to 170 for his last fight and now this fight again, which is where he really should be. It was getting to be a hard weight cut for him at 55. But the fact that he was able to cut down there makes you wonder how much of a natural size advantage somebody like Gunnar Nelson has. But, I mean, and also Burns has struggled with his wrestling a little more in his fights at welterweight in the past. But that aside, I see this as a pretty good matchup for Gilbert Burns, and I'm going to pick him in this. 
Well, I'm going to go with Gunnar Nelson in a close fight. Um, I'll even go so far as to say a close fight, like a split decision win. Um, I like what you said about Gunnar Nelson's karate uh, stance and getting hit. You know, you see that that happens with these guys. Um, At first, we fall in love with that style, right, from striking. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, guys like Machida, Steven Thompson, Gunnar Nelson. You know, we, we just ooh and ah about the stance and how unique it is and their movement. But people sort of tend to figure it out and they get hit at times. Um, So that's a very interesting point. As far as Burns is concerned, you know, this is his second fight in six weeks, which is, uh, you know, it's not a common thing in the UFC, at least in the quote unquote minor leagues. It certainly happens more often. Fighters who sort of tour the regional circuit. Um, Will that be a factor? I don't know. I mean, you know, you could look at it one way and say he's still fresh. Uh, or you could look at it the other way and say, you know, maybe it's too much. Um, the striking uh, advantage in terms of statistics that you pointed out for Burns, yeah, Gunner is just more of a methodical striker. Um, he's not someone who pushes the pace a lot with striking. Um, he's actually a methodical human being, um, just not a guy who is um, generally exciting, but I like him a lot. If you've ever seen behind the scenes features on him, he's a really likable guy, eats a lot of weird food. Um, But back to what's more important, uh, the grappling matchup, like you said, is incredible. I mean, what, both are second degree uh, black belts. Um, And Nelson has 13 submission wins to Burns is eight. Um, You know, Burns is not like you were alluding to a big welterweight at all, but he is very strong. Um, but Burns also has, you know, power too. Um, you know, I wrote down, you can't sleep on Nelson, but sometimes his pace puts you to sleep. And I alluded to that before. It's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Burns handles that, you know, because Gunnar Nelson is just so methodical. And it's like, you wait for him to explode sometimes, but I think he's going to end up um, just etching out a very close decision. I can't honestly tell you whether it's going to be striking on the, or on the ground or both. It might be a mixture of everything, but I see him winning a split decision. Okay, yeah. That brings us to the co-main event of the evening. Uh, interesting fight. We have Denmark National Olympic wrestler Mark Madsen making his UFC debut versus Danilo uh, Bilardo, uh from the Italian circuits. This is his second fight in the UFC. Uh, Matson is coming in a huge favorite in this fight. It's a little bit surprising for somebody we don't know that much about as a mixed martial arts fighter. Uh, Matson's right now listed at minus 550. Uh, he's from Denmark. He's very popular. He's a silver medalist in Greco-Roman wrestling. Uh, I think that's a little bit important to point out because that deals with the upper body for people who don't really know that much about the wrestling styles. So he's going to utilize takedowns from like the upper body, like maybe like head and arm, like some kind of throws like that, rather than shooting in for the legs. Uh, He's currently 8-0 in MMA, but a lot of that is uh, in much lower level than the UFC. He's taken on Bilardo, who's 10 years younger. He's 12-4 professionally, uh, and again, most of that is on the Italian regional circuits. Lee, how do you see the coming event? So this is going to be weird for some people, but I am looking forward to this fight 
more than anything on this card, maybe, because of Mark O. Matson, um, which some people refer to him as the O. I don't know what it stands for. But, man, I cannot <laughs> wait to see this dude fight. People are going to go bonkers for this guy. He is a legit yeah. sports celebrity in Denmark. Um, this fight, his UFC debut, is making national news. He's a huge, huge athlete. Um, you, as you said, his credentials, incredible uh, from the 2016 Summer Games. Um, by all accounts, he's put his Olympic dreams on hold again, you know, to continue his Olympic dreams, to be an MMA fighter, to make his UFC debut. If you watch his fights and you can find his highlights, this is one of those wrestlers where his power has translated over into striking. Now, obviously, I want to reiterate his level of competition, you know, right. is, is, you know, you, it's not UFC caliber, but for the eye test, he is legit. When you look at his takedowns, he has legit wrestling takedowns, suplexes. He's got this mean streak in him. I mean, he is brutal with his takedowns and he does have power. I mean, maybe he'll fight better strikers in the UFC, but if he connects that power will translate. I think this is, one of those fights that's teed up for the home crowd. Um, it's one of those rare UFC fights where a matchup is made for this guy to, you know, continue to win the crowd over and, you know, sort of become that UFC star in that region, uh, which is obviously Denmark. So I'm not going to get into the technicalities of this too much. I mean, Bilardo, he can finish you with striking or with submissions, but... Um, I just think he's being teed up for Matson and the crowd, and I think Matson wins by first round knockout. Uh, the one concern I saw one fight where he got a takedown late in the fight. Uh, his opponent uh, was able to reverse and get to his back, and Matson looked a little unsure of what to do with the guy on his back. Beluardo is capable of uh, submitting him if if he was to get to his back. I'm just not totally confident that he can get there like both of these guys really come from lower level experience at this point point. and like you were saying on tape uh Madsen looks really good I mean yeah you know I mean this is essentially a, a regional fight under the UFC yeah. banner you yeah. know what I mean it, it, so yeah and I think it's really cool that the UFC is bringing people like this in uh, I want to see more of this yes. kind of stuff my real preference in MMA is watching specialists. Like, I, I love watching people like Damian Maya, like Ben Askren, like Ryan Hall. Like, the people that yeah. they're really, really good at one particular thing and better than everybody else. And these other people have to figure out how they're going to stop that in order to win the fight. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. I, I just want to add, you know, because it's sort of like a... It's sort of what the UFC was created yeah, on, yeah. right? You know, it's like you, you take people of all kinds of disciplines. And look, it's it's a great thing to see athletes evolve as an all-around mixed martial artist. But like you, I don't want to see every fighter be a George St. Pierre who could pretty much do everything. Right. I like, like you do, seeing the Ryan Halls and what's he going to do against a striker. I mean, that's what this is all about. So, yeah, yeah I totally, that's a great point. I love that. Yeah. yeah, so that makes this really exciting. Let's see what Madsen's got. Uh, I'm going to pick him too. I'm just not really sure of how I think he's going to do it yet. I'm a little bit worried about him just not being ready for UFC-level fighters, but really, Beloardo is probably at the lowest level of UFC competition. 
So I'm going to go with Madsen. Uh, I'm going to say it goes to the decision, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch with the hmm. crowd behind him now. Uh, that will definitely be sh- for sure, yeah. yeah. All right, so let's go to the main event. Uh, we got Jack Hermanson uh, coming in on fire versus Jared Cannonier. Uh Jack Hermanson, minus 240 favorite in this fight. Before I say any more about this one, let's, let's go to you, Lee. How do you see the main event going? Well, Cannonier is another guy who once used to be a fatty uh, like Khalil Roundtree and uh, lost a lot of weight. He's fought at heavyweight, he's fought at light heavyweight. Yeah. So he's brought, the, he's brought that power down to middleweight. We saw what he did to a way over the hill and past his prime Anderson Silva, which was a little bit sad. Yes. But, you know, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Got to give him credit. Um, they both have a common opponent in uh, uh, cheater David Branch. Uh, <laughs> Hermanson ch- choked him out. And Cannonier knocked him out at UFC 230 last year, so that's uh, one thing. Um, Hermanson is is a guy who pushes a pace. You know, he's he's not the most beautiful striker to watch, but he is the better, in my opinion, overall striker. Lands a lot more strikes per minute than Cannonier, 5.24 to 3.62. Yeah. He's just really unorthodox, and he pushes the pace. Um, I wanted to uh, read something like, you know, it, we all, we both do a lot of research and according to ESPN, which is, this is airing on ESPN plus, this is super interesting. Hermanson currently holds the highest striking differential amongst ranked middleweight competitors, uh, during his UFC career. We said just before how many sin- significant strikes per minute he's landed. Right. He's only absorbed 2.37 per minute. So that's a differential, wow. of, uh, plus 2.87. So that is the highest amongst ranked middleweights, but it's also a full point higher than the person in second place who happens to be title challenger Israel Adesanya. So it's very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great stat. And if you guys want to find more stats like this, you go to ufcstats.com. But, um, you know, uh, he's he's just an unorthodox guy who pushes the pace. He's an effective striker. You can say that he's better everywhere than Cannoneer except for power. Right. Um, Cannoneer just has that that equalizer. You know, seven of his 12 wins are by knockout. He scores uh, .59 knockdowns per 15 minutes. And, and, and Hermanson, can, you know, has he can get knocked down. Um, so... Um, you know, Hermanson, on the other hand, doesn't have a knockdown in his nine UFC fights, but he's been sent to the canvas a couple times. So, you know, as far as takedown game, which I know you you know you love to talk about as well, Hermanson has a, a significant advantage there. Canada's right. defense is is actually not that great. So, I think Hermanson wins this fight by unanimous decision and in a clear unanimous decision. What do you yeah. think? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go right to the takedowns. Uh, Cannonier's defense is something he's been working on and he's been improving at, but it's still only at 44%. He got taken down three times in his fight with David Branch. He got taken down four times by Jan Blakovich. He got taken down three times by Glover Teixeira. And like I said earlier, six times by Kuta Laba. I think that Hermanson is going to go for a takedown pretty quickly because he's so aggressive when he's on top. Uh, I think he'll probably hunt for a submission. And I like to think that his chances of getting it are pretty high. But uh, Cannoneer actually does not have a submission loss on his record that I I could say. Like, as bad as he is at defending the takedown, I don't see any losses by submission. 
So that is interesting. But, I mean, I think there's different ways that uh, Hermansa could finish the fight or, or he could just win by decision, like you said. But I really don't see much advantage here for Cannoneer. Like you already pointed out, his real only path to victory is by power. Uh, he Landing what he does with uh, 3.62 per minute on the feet, it's not the worst rate. Uh, but when you're going against somebody that's 5.24 per minute, it's a big difference. And so most of the time, Cannonier is still throwing like one punch or one kick at a time and really looking just to finish the fight with that shot. So I don't like to bet on those kind of people anyway. And I don't like those kind of people in a matchup against somebody like Jack Hermanson, which has so many weapons. So I'm going to pick Hermanson. Uh, I mean, everybody's got to get submitted sometime, you would think, especially when you have as poor takedown defense as Cannoneer has. So I'm going to say Hermanson submits him in the first round. I like that. And, and you know, Hermanson has like this it factor. There's just something about yeah. him when you watch him and you think about the contenders that, you know, he's surrounded by. This is a guy who... You know, you could look a year from now. He could be a champion in the UFC. I don't. I don't think that's out of question, and uh, I don't think you can necessarily say that about Cannoneer. If he wins this fight, though, he'll certainly be in the picture, though. Yeah. No, I. I don't really feel that way about Cannoneer and Hermanson. Like, uh, definitely could. Uh, his his last fight against Jacare broke my heart. Uh, I, 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 I love Jack Ray, and he was really set up for a title fight at that point. And it was just like Hermanson yeah. just outworked him. Jack Ray couldn't keep up with the pace. But then I was at the fight in Philadelphia where Hermanson knocked out David Branch. But with the with yeah. the danger of Cannonier getting, uh, he's a bigger guy. He's a much bigger guy. Like you were saying, yeah. starting at heavyweight, he's got a chance. He's live for a knockout. So I think it's an exciting main event. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. It's we cannot sleep on Cannonier because, you know, if you sleep on him, you can go to sleep. Yeah. All right. So with that, we'll wrap up this uh, UFC Fight Night 160, Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. As always. Rate, review, uh, subscribe if you haven't, and suggest this podcast to any friends you have that like MMA. Yes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you guys.